1: Find Love at First Drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the pod. Uh, Pat Forty, Pete Thammel, Intrepid Producer Sully here. Dan Wetzel is on vacation. And quite frankly, we already taped the podcast earlier today, but we are going back in with an emergency pod, new lead, thanks to the one and only. Thank you. Mike Gundy, our man, all mullet, no muscle, and not much uh, brain power behind Coach Gundy. Uh, amazing situation that flared up on Monday afternoon, Pete, with a picture of the Oklahoma State football coach on a fishing trip. Very successful fishing trip, I'll say. They caught a lot of fish. Uh, Wearing an OAN t-shirt. That is One America News Network. Right-wing conspiracy factory that uh, Gundy has championed before when it related to the coronavirus. Picture comes out on Twitter, raises eyebrows. People are like, wow, he's actually wearing the shirt. But that really set off an actual player revolt from current and former Oklahoma State players. And the important thing to say is current where if you look at what happened at Iowa, which we'll get into later in the podcast, that was all former players basically unloading on strength coach Chris Doyle. This is current players, Chuba Hubbard, the leading rusher last year in college football, blowing up his coach on Twitter. Pete, what did he say? Pat, he
0: made it very clear. He said, I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society. And it's unacceptable. I will not be doing anything with Oklahoma State until things change. And change is in all capital letters.
1: Bam. Shot across the bow there. Uh, pistols firing from Pistol Pete's best player. And then he was backed up. Chuba was then backed up by his teammates. Linebacker Amen Ogbong Bamiga who led the team with 15 and a half tackles for loss last season. He quickly supported Hubbard on Twitter. I stand with him, he said. Senior offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins, who started 25 games the past two years. He's won a lot of team awards for being like a team first guy. As an O-line, we stand and support Chuba. Uh, And then the former players unloaded. And man, oh man, this thing got ugly quickly for Mike Gundy. How big a deal is this, Pete? Some people say, hey, it's just a t-shirt. But keep in mind, Mike Gundy actually once fired a contractor, a carpenter, because he wore an Oklahoma baseball T-shirt to his house to do some work. So the T-shirt <laughs> karma has come back around on uh, on Mike. What, how bad is
0: this, Pete? I think it's really bad. And I, I think the important thing to just point out is Gundy can't like just fib his way out. Oh, I didn't know, et cetera. Because amid his infamous coronavirus rant of about six weeks ago, he said, It's One America News. It was so refreshing. They just report the news. There's no commentary. There's no opinions. There's no left. There's no right. And basically, Mike Gundy has hung himself with his own words. He can't talk his way around this or out of this. Because basically, he believes that a network that has consistently criticized the Black Lives Matter movement, that has consistently spun right-wing conspiracy conspiracy theories, like, like you said earlier, Pat, and has basically consistently gone to the far right of Fox News, the way far right of Fox News, is what he considers down the middle. Like He thinks it's PBS. And yeah. so I really think that Mike Gundy, first of all, is guilty of zero self awareness right now. Now he's on a fishing trip. It wasn't like he was at a press conference, but he makes five million dollars a year, or however much he does, as as the head coach of Oklahoma State. And him actually putting that shirt on as a public figure was a giant mistake. And Mike Gundy has long lacked self awareness, and he has also long lacked consequences. Because remember, after his coronavirus rant, he was not required to apologize. He released a somewhat trite statement and then just moved on. But Mike Gundy has always operated above his superiors. I mean, they made the golf coach the AD so Gundy could walk all over him. And, you know, with Boone Pickens gone, who had been a Gundy adversary for for years, uh, he's passed away. Gundy has really run with with, you know, with no governor. He has never had to be conscious of social issues and he's never had to be conscious how his team's felt because he's been able to run all over him but the world has changed even since his coronavirus rant and uh i think mike gundy is amid a situation if only because he's so hard-headed that i don't think he's going to realize how serious this is get in the fetal position and meet his players halfway and learn and grow and evolve and, and apologize and realize what he did if you look at what happened at iowa pat like Kirk Ferentz was very aware of the seriousness of the situation right away and, you know, made that clear, brought in the players, and and really made a concerted and, I think, genuine effort to make change in that program. I am skeptical, considering Mike Gundy's track record, that he's willing to do that.
1: Sure. No, I mean, that's the thing. He, For all the reasons you said, A, he's never really had a boss who could make him do anything, and B, just uh, that's not his mentality anyway. You know, the, yes, his apology off of the coronavirus thing was half-hearted at best. He is in a situation. This one is going to be tough to to walk out of when your best players are coming at you hard, and they're and the former players are coming at you. Uh, I don't know. That this is going to be a an easy fix for him. the 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 PR damage is immense. The loss of of locker room. We'll see. Like at, at Florida State, there was there was a flare up, but Mike Norvell got that under control quickly. This has a feeling of something very different uh, thus far. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But that's the thing is is OAN is you are you are espousing for the second time publicly a network that is. Probably as as antagonistic as could be towards something that's very important to a lot of your players. I mean, they said Black Lives Matter is a quote farce on the air. In addition to other, you know, rantings and criticisms of of the Black Lives Matter movement. And if that's who you're championing, then you are you're dismissing your own players. You're out of touch with them, what they are thinking about, how they feel, uh, what matters to them. And that's that's a heck of a lot to take on. And you pointed out too that that, that Ference, and we're going to talk about it more later, uh, the, the Iowa situation, but, uh, but Ference was quick to listen, I think, and to to get to a position where he needed to get in terms of, of understanding the anger that was going on towards his strength coach. Very interesting. you want to compare I want to compare. The Gundy t-shirt to another football coach who's been incredibly tone deaf in a controversial t-shirt recently, and that's Dabo Sweeney, Clemson, wearing a shirt that said football matters. In that case, this is after Dabo had had, had a couple of, I thought, failed attempts to connect with the, the Black Lives Matter situ- uh, situation, the police brutality situation uh, in, the, in the United States. He, he was seen at a pool, similar situation to Gundy he's, he's on his own time. He's not at work. He's wearing a shirt that says Football matters. That caught a lot of people askance, saying, wait a minute, is he is this a send up or a mockery of Black Lives Matter or what's he trying to do there? It turns out tre- now Trevor Lawrence, his star quarterback, comes out quickly on Twitter and Twitter and says, there's no statement there. Coach has been wearing that shirt around for months. It's a saying, it's a slogan that he's been dealing with about the importance of football. Uh, for him and his players and I think the difference in tone between one guy's star player coming out I got your back and the other guy's star player attacking the coach and the responses thereafter shows one coach is in a lot better standing in his locker room than the other one. That's 100%
0: right Pat and here here's a key differentiation between what's happening at Oklahoma State and what's happening at Iowa. If you look at what Elsie Greenwood said about Mike Gundy and this is Elsie Greenwood who was a kind of Midling player who had announced recently he was going to transfer out of Oklahoma state. He had been a a receiver and also played a little bit on the other side of the ball. He said, quote, I was called a hood rat and thug on multiple of multiple occasions being threatened to be sent back home all because of wearing a do rag and sleeveless shirt. Now he does not say necessarily Mike Gundy said that, but it, these, these accusations seem to hit a little bit more home to the head coach's office than they do in the Ferentz situation. And then another player, uh, Pat Makin said, at least he talked to you. He would pretend to be on the phone with someone when I see him in the hallway to avoid interacting with him. That was very uncomfortable. What might Gundy I think we'll have to do here because he has clearly lost his star player and much of his locker room, Justice Hill speaking out against him, the former Oklahoma State player. Justice Hill is probably the best player in that program last five years that that, that comes to my mind anyway. There has been a very consistent echo and there has been no one trying to put a stop to it publicly. There has been there. I have not seen a single person stand up for Mike Gundy here. He has to show humility and introspection. And these are two qualities that I have (laughs) never seen
1: Mike (laughs) Gundy show. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Ever. I think you basically just said a frog has to grow wings and fly. Yes. I mean, it, it, I, yes. I, I just don't know whether it's it's possible. Can it happen? Yeah. You know? That's like My counting Gundy's on a frog always. for
0: your steak dinner. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Mike gunny's always been the smartest guy in the room. Kowtowed to no one, answered to no one. And yeah, this will be a real test of whether or not he has any of that within him. I mean, is there an ounce of, of introspection or accountability anymore. Yeah, I don't know
0: in a you know coaching profession that's filled with egomaniacs Mike Gundy is particularly controlling he's very limiting on who his players talk to in the, in the media remember obviously the famous I'm a man I'm 40 rant that was well, about c- control and questioning the media questioning one of his uh, one of his players he's very you know they have been very limited on Twitter there like there there's a lot of restrictions like there you know when you look at Iowa there was wholesale changes made very quickly cuz the players stood up. It will be very interesting. And uh, I've written about this in my column on Yahoo, like the, the program at Oklahoma State this spring has been very geared around, according to people there, Gundy's son, who is now going to be an incoming freshman and is a quarterback, like Gundy would be at practice, like all spring practices, sitting there talking to his son. So players have noticed that. That has not gone unnoticed. And Mike Gundy is not self-aware. This is one thing we all know. Like we could, I, I don't even think like the, the, the most vigilant Mike Gundy critic uh, uh, defenders. And there's really just one, the, the guy, the guy in Stillwater who does their radio, who will, who will, who will turn this. I, I can't wait to see the Saturday night live skit that, 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 that turns into. But, um, you know, the, if there's, if there's one thing about Mike Gundy, like he is, he is not all of a sudden going to change because, you know, God bless him, he's been very successful. I mean, the, the football yeah. piece of no. what Mike Gundy has become, you you cannot question. But nope. the, the problem is the world has radically changed even since his coronavirus rant, which you and I had very pointed opinions on last time. The world is radically different from that. And he didn't learn or change or evolve from that. And there is going to have to be some evolution because pretty much the players have drawn a line in the sand and they're and they're daring gundy to come you know meet them there or join them or dialogue with them and i think some of this is a symptom of their dissatisfaction with his engagement in the program so if he's not engaged with the players and he's out you know promoting a television network that spins that that degrades the black lives matters movement and spins right wing conspiracies and basically is a, a network that Makes the black population feel vulnerable. It makes the black population feel like they are second class. I mean, that's that's essentially what that television network is, is has been built on in a lot of ways. And so, I, I really feel like this is a fascinating moment for the. You know, when you look at, I mean, this makes the Marvin uh, Austin poop emoji look, you know, look very very benign, right? Absolutely, because yes, because this is this is going to go to the core of Mike Gundy and dare him to
1: change and i don't think you and i can sit here and say oh he'll change and evolve because he never has so this is the the gauntlet's been thrown down here and interesting i don't know if it's coincidence or if it's symptomatic of something here pete but we're talking in particular here with iowa and with oklahoma state programs that have had one guy in charge for a long time and has been very successful and able to do things exactly the way he has wanted to do them. Gundy, one hundred and twenty-nine and sixty-four at a place where if you're over five hundred, you're doing really well. And he's way over five hundred. He's double. He's six, six, seven. The one thing, you know, he's he's had, I think, five, ten win seasons. They had one year they almost played for the national championship. They blew a game uh against and Iowa, Iowa State. State. Yep, yep. The only game they lost that year, they were 12-1. and one. I think it was 2011, maybe. And other than that, I mean, but the only thing he hadn't done, he hadn't beaten Oklahoma. He's 2-13 and 13 against Oklahoma. But that's the thing. He has earned himself this stature and this status that I think has given him a feeling that he can say what he wants, he can do what he wants, and what's anybody going to do to me? And now we're going to find out. And it's, it's a great comparison with Iowa with the tenure. Those are also two weak athletic directors.
0: Gary Barta yep. and Mike Holder are not Considered high-end athletic directors in college athletics, they are they are benign figures who you know who who really have had zero impact on on the greater s- scheme of college sports. They're they're kind of caretakers who are who are just there. Um, they're they're really non-factors. They're they're not. I, I don't want to say they're bad athletic directors, but they're certainly not regarded highly amongst their peers. They're 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 just they're just kind of. Uh, they're just kind of there and the coaches are definitely bigger than them. And this is going to be honestly a test of Oklahoma state administration because Mike Holder yeah. isn't going to change Mike Gundy. He hasn't been able to do it for however long he's been there. This is really going to go up the food chain at Oklahoma state. And that the real fascinating part for Gundy, and I wrote about this in my, in my last column about him after the, uh, after his, uh, his skepticism of the virus in that kind of epic rant, uh, I don't know if Gundy's particularly employable in a lot of other places. Now, there'll be some bandit conference USA school that'll go hire him. There'll always be someone desperate to win. That was before this era of player empowerment, though. I I, I really think, yeah, other than Tennessee wanting to hire him, Gundy has limited his own opportunity by being himself. And so I really feel like if I'm Gundy, I'm looking at this like there's some urgency here because if I lose this job, I may not have, abundance of opportunities because I'm being branded as as an outlier who's insensitive to black players. And in the environment going forward, that's going to be really
1: hard to get hired somewhere. Okay, so it is June. We think the season is going to start on time. End of August, Labor Day weekend. Can you fire your 15 year head coach right now? And if so, how do you replace him? What do you do? They would only fire him if like he refused to acknowledge
0: change if the social pressure from inside and outside got so strong it will be interesting if they actually bring in an independent investigation and again we're we're taping just a couple hours after this happened. so when you look at lc greenwood's comments and other racial comments we don't know if there'll be a preponderance of them or only a handful now they should investigate even if there is only a handful i don't want to i don't want to dismiss that by uh by by any means but the the university this this is where like Sports and politics and culture all collide because Oklahoma State University is going to have zero interest in firing Mike Gundy, zero interest at all. Like, it's just it is it is not who they are. It's not what they want to do. I would imagine the fan base at Oklahoma State, and I'd be curious to hear from some of our listeners on Twitter if I'm if I'm misreading this is. Standing behind Gundy on this, like my initial reaction that I got on Twitter and again, Twitter is not a great indicator of real life. And I understand that. But it was a lot of like, what was if he was wearing an MSNBC MSNBC T-shirt, what would people be saying? Like there is there is an immediate urge to politicize this and fracture arguments as opposed to having empathy for Chuba Hubbard, who clearly feels like his coach is perpetuating racist sentiment and he's pissed off about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's I mean, I, I agree that they, they would not have the stomach for this unless unless Gundy doesn't make it easy, I would say. I, I mean, you know, if he if he doesn't want to have any level of contrition or meet the players more than halfway or anything like that, then 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 their I think their hand will be forced. But uh the you know it's not something they're gonna want to do, uh for sure. But but I'm telling you now, on the flip side of that. If they if they if they are forced to make a choice, we keep my Gundy or would you be shocked if Chuba Hubbard just says, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have even come back for this season anyway. A lot of people were surprised he didn't go to the NFL. I'll sit this one out. I'm a high, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a high draft draft pick prospect and he might have some teammates that are thinking the same thing, too. So what about uh, the supplemental draft,
0: which still hasn't happened? The right. supplemental now, draft is a really weird organism. Like, I, like there's no date set for it because, you know, we all looked into it a little bit uh, during mm-hmm. the pandemic for, for, you know, for guys like Sean Wade who came back, guys like Tuba Hubbard who came back. Like, if there was no season, could we do that? That, that was like a March topic. And the one thing about this supplemental draft is, like, it's, it's a very ambiguous entity. So yeah. I can't sit here and tell you this would or would not fall. Um, it's usually for guys who fail out, have drug tests, but, like, The NFL, where it is, it is with race relations right now. If Chuba Hubbard comes to them and says, "I think my coach is racist. I don't want to play for him," like I think that's a pretty compelling argument and one that the NFL, where it is PR wise, would not want to lose. Yeah,
1: because I think the NFL has said they really didn't want to open up the supplemental draft to pandemic-related entries, but this is a different matter. And yeah, this, and you know I, f- I
0: I could be dead wrong on that. I, I want to be clear about it. like I, I have no idea, but I just think from a PR perspective, I have no idea like what the letter of the law of the supplemental draft is. it's it's a it's a it's a strange organization that it's a strange entity that has very, you know th- there seems very little formal about it, including the date. like I blew my mind in April that there was no date set for the supplemental draft, but it's for like, right. Like, for example, Sam Beal from Western Michigan failed out of there a couple of years ago. He ended up going on the supplemental draft. Like, that's who it's designed for, guys who can't play right. for, you know, for a, for a specific uh, reason like that. But here's the other thing, too. If, you, if you're Chuba Hubbard and you want to start a revolution, um, I bet the NCAA would clear him it for a hardship no. situation in a split second. Hey, yeah. you want to go to, uh, you know, you, again, these places have running back. you want to go to Ohio State which took a you know which took Trey Sermon last year cuz they needed a tailback you want to go to uh you know Clemson obviously has a really good tailback but you know if like Texas for example does not yeah. have a great they, they do not have a ton of tailback depth right now mm-hmm. um if you're or you want to go to USC I, I'm just thinking of 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 places that maybe don't have a uh Florida State, for example, Pat, you said, uh, yeah, you know, we, yeah. we, we, we talked about we'll talk about a little later in the podcast. Like they don't have a <laughs> they don't have a, thumb or a tail like I, I can't fathom the NCA in this climate not granting him immediate eligibility. It would be yeah. it'd be stunning. And even if you look at the Justin Fields ruling from last year and the racial ties to that, and uh, that was pretty easy to pass. I think I think uh, Tom Mars could eat that like a uh, like a, like an appetizer. That's That's easy work for him.
1: Yeah, no, that's so, and that will be really interesting to watch is a, you know, does Gundy keep his job? B, does he keep his players, uh, you know, or do, the, do these guys that are, I mean, very high level players, uh, hit the bricks and try to get out of there. And if so, do they, yeah, do they try to transfer or do they just sit out and say, I'm going to play for the, or train for the NFL draft either way? What is guaranteed to be an ongoing saga in Stillwater, yes. uh, uh, yes very interesting and uh that this we'll, we will be watching this and we'll we'll do another pod this week and I'm sure this will be part of it
0: yeah well I don't think in this ongoing Saga we're gonna get that Eskimo Joe's sponsorship that we've been uh, we've <laughs> been seeking which is a bummer for all of us
1: it is hey good bar in Stillwater Eskimo Joe's by golly been there hope to be there again someday but okay back to our regularly scheduled pod and our very compelling reason why it might be the last pod ever listen up. welcome to the show sorry to tell you guys it looks like this is probably going to be our last show because in case you haven't heard the world is ending this week so hate to break i I hope we're not the ones breaking (laughs) it to you uh but if we are that's a pretty good scoop for us settle all your affairs take care of your business kiss your loved ones goodbye but the uh mayan calendar apparently was read incorrectly You may remember that said the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. That was the prophecy. Came and went. Everybody lived. But now uh, there's news reports that the calendar was misread, miscalculated. The new calculation, according to the sun, the the very reliable news source, the British tabloid, (laughs) the sun, is that uh, the world's like ending now, like any day, any day this week. So that's uh, that, that's your news update, and I, you know I'm sorry. Maybe we'll be able to do the show in the next world in the afterlife. Um, myself, I am here with Pete Thamel, Dan Wetzel. Apparently, realizing the world was coming to an end, hightailed it to the Upper P- Peninsula of Michigan. And I guess Pete, if you're if you're going to go, you might as well go in a cabin up there on the UP. I don't know. We'll so we will tell Dan a fond goodbye, but. Uh you know I'm sorry that, that we got to go out this way. If you are heading to the Traverse City Michigan area
0: this week <laughs> just be prepared for the lack of Bud Light in your local uh <laughs> you know community liquor store. Uh, that Light. has been yeah. Oh what did I say? I said Bud Light. My god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> Dan's going to sue you for that. I know, Bush- I know, I know. I'm, I'm I'm ruining his brand, his long-plotted <laughs> courtship yeah. for the Bushlight sponsorship. The only person in America pursuing a Bushlight sponsorship, Dan Wetzel. Yes, he <laughs> did send us uh, on our group text a picture of a twelve-pack in un, in ice on yep. a uh, on a lake as he was grilling meat. So good for. Good for Dan for uh, beating the Mayan death posse, taking some time off and, uh, yeah, enjoying some of his beloved swill uh, for these last precious moments on this earth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where that's where Wetzel's going to meet his maker up on the U.P. Pete's, uh, I think, uh, in various uh, undisclosed whereabouts in Massachusetts. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Sully, the uh, dogged producer, is in SoCal. Goodbye to everyone. But uh, on the on the very <laughs> slim chance, the very slim chance that we survive this, and we do have further podcasts, and we do have more news and everything like that, we will finish the show. We'll go ahead and give you guys uh, the <laughs> rest of of the news out there, and it will be this is going to be actually a little bit more football centric show because Wetzel isn't around to just take things off the rails because he refuses to drill down on the details of anything. <laughs> so. We are going to get into a uh, – we're going to talk a little bit about uh, – we're going to do a, a kind of an overview of a conference. We're going to do the ACC, talk about the league as we see it, the way it's been the last few years and what we think is going to happen in 2020. But before we do that, we got we got a few other updates, news, and notes, things happening out there. Pete, let's start with uh, the news out of Iowa that uh, broke shortly before we started taping here. Chris Doyle separation agreement with Iowa – Nobody can ever just be fired these days. It has to be a separation agreement. So I think uh, Gary Barta will be talking about it later today, but the uh, the news broke already about Doyle being out. Uh, Not a big surprise, I don't think, to anybody. Doyle has been the strength coach, right-hand man of Kirk Ferentz for his entire tenure there, going back to the 1990s. Doyle was the one who former players came out from all over the place to criticize recently for what I guess you would say at best was racial insensitivity, if not outright racism, bullying, degrading players, particularly black players. And uh, he was suspended last week and his tenure is over as of today. What are your uh, initial thoughts there, Pete? Yeah, this was completely predictable.
0: The surprises probably didn't happen sooner. There was a due process. I thought Kirk Ferentz would announce this at his press conference last week. Uh, Chris Doyle had next to zero percent chance of surviving. The way I read the, you know, I think the over 50 players came out and, and spoke up. Uh, and it was essentially fostering an environment of racial degradation. That was probably the best way to put it, where the word ghetto, for example, was used. And there were just there were just different. Terms. I mean, I was blown away, Pat, that they couldn't wear hoodies in their yeah, facility right? until recently. Like there were just some, you know, there were just some backwards things happening uh, at Iowa football that, uh, you know, give Kirk Ferretts credit that he is now recognized he needs to change immediately. And I think publicly he has handled everything well. The the separation of, of, of Chris Doyle was obvious. Uh, the signs were on the wall from his suspension to his son, uh, who was a promising young linebacker, entering the transfer portal. Those signs were happening. I think almost the most significant thing about today's news was that it was just Chris Doyle. There were yeah. no assistant coaches. There was no one else on the staff. That we've been made aware of publicly, that that is going to have any yet anyway any type of of tangible reverberations. Now, I do think that at the very least, there's going to be a lot of sensitivity training. Like you just can't let Chris Doyle go and let everybody march on their merry way in Iowa. I would think at this point, with the scrutiny they're under and with what accusations have emerged from those from those former players, I do think as an entire staff, um, there is going to be some type of educational mechanism put in here for for iowa moving forward and and pushing forward at the very least if nothing else uh if nothing else punitive
1: yeah no that's uh, that's for sure that uh, then uh the the one thing that if you know is somewhat i think troubling is chris doyle apparently gets 1.1 million dollars out of this separation agreement i am i'm not sure that's uh a great signal about how iowa handled this now i mean obviously look it's it's it is difficult to make people go away these days but 1.1 million to uh to to be to be ushered out of a job where you were bullying players for two decades i i don't know that's you know it's one thing to get a buyout because you were losing games it's uh, i'm not sure about the buyout there but that is a buyout to avoid court because if Chris, if they tried to take Chris Doyle's
0: money that was left on his contract, you know, Kirk Ferentz would have been deposed, you know, the whole staff, they would have trotted up all the former players on the stand. And that is, that is 1.1 million to avoid a spectacle. I am not defending it, but that is, that is clearly what Iowa was doing and thinking. And, you know, let's not undersell the relationship piece of this year. Like, Chris Doyle has made, you know, he has been the bedrock of Kirk Ferentz's career. Like there have to be a lot of tight personal relationships here, and you know, at Kirk Ferentz's core. He's going to want his guy taken care of on the way out the door. Now, I'm not saying he told them to do that or he did that, but I can't see Iowa fighting on principle to keep the 1.1 million. I, I think they they thank him for his 20 years and, and what he's helped build there within the program, and and they give him the money, and they then they're they are doing this to clearly avoid headaches and you know what could be weeks and months of more bad headlines.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That I mean, I think that you're exactly right that that's what that money is is there for. And and yeah, I mean, sure, Kirk Ferentz probably, you know, who knows whether Kirk needed any sort of convincing that this needed to happen or not. But I mean, Doyle was as you said, he was his right-hand guy. I mean, strength coach is hugely important everywhere these days. He was getting paid 800 grand, you know, paid like a rock star. And uh, he was he was running his part of the program the way Kirk Ferentz wanted him to run his part of the program. Maybe Kirk didn't know every bullying detail, but, you know, he wanted the tough guy, the old school, more and more archaic, less and less tolerable strength coach as punisher uh, guy in there, you know, to to beat him up, break him down and then build him back up into champions. Uh, That's that's. (laughs) You know, there's been a lot of that out there for a lot of years, but that's a tougher and tougher sell, I think, these days. And uh, coaches, that if that's your guy, you you better watch out. You know, uh, we saw it get to a, go to a, a tragic degree at Maryland a couple of years ago. Uh, this obviously hasn't been uh, like anything like to that extent. Nobody's lost their life in uh, in Iowa, but uh, you know that that whole mentality, I think, is is on its way out. Otherwise, uh, Pete here, do you, do you feel like Kirk Ferentz is OK going forward um, in his position? Yeah,
0: I, I think that the universe just allowing him to talk like he did with the three players in that press conference uh, on BTN on. Uh, well, that was broadcast on BTN. I watched it on BTN on Friday. Others could have watched it many other places. Giving Kirk Ferentz the forum voice. Players are back now. Kirk's in charge. So I don't unless some skeletons really come up about kirk in the investigation that haven't popped up from the players i would think kirk ferentz returns uh returns to iowa for uh for for next for next season and beyond i mean i do believe he has a 1.3 billion dollar buyout on his contract through 2072 is that right do i have the right details on that uh, one point three billion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I think it's twenty seventy two. It might be through twenty seventy six. Yeah. I'm going to have to check our FOIA records, but I think that is the amount of guarantee on Kirk Ferentz's yeah. contract. So, I could be um, I could be wrong. But honestly, one of the reasons why you you know why the you know conservative state of Iowa gave Kirk Ferentz that deal and essentially took like the uh, gross national product of the state's corn syrup production and tied <laughs> it to his salary is because he was like the most controversy-free guy in all of college football. Mm-hmm. He's a you know you've dealt with Kirk Ferentz, I've dealt with Kirk Ferentz. He's a gentleman and he's somewhat benign. Like a, a very nice guy, a very warm engaging guy, but like think of the last controversial
1: Kirk Ferentz thing. That's happened. The only thing was was Chris Doyle when he when he put the thirteen Rhabdom. players mm-hmm. in the hospital with rabdo in two thousand and eleven I think it was, uh, but yeah no you're right is that that that's Kirk Ferentz in Iowa are a match made in heaven as you said yes. you know a, a relatively conservative place where uh, it is not that you know the whole program is it's not loud it's not outlandish it's you know it is said steady and solid and all the things that Kirk Ferentz yes. is so. You're right, and uh, yes, a deaf nod to the to perhaps the most egregious contract anybody got in college football is the (laughs) the Kirk Ferentz deal. Just has been mind boggling for years. Let's talk about the uh, the latest in the players returning to campus situation, and uh, Houston has actually shut down their return. Game. They are suspending on-campus workouts for its athletes after six of them tested positive for the coronavirus. They announced that suspension Friday afternoon. Houston has been a hot spot for positive tests uh, in recent days and weeks, and uh, this is a school that that Houston was of the uh, volition at first that they were only going to test people when they if they were symptomatic. Uh, one of those kind of wait and see if it bites us sort of things. And it bit them. Pete. uh, What's the, uh, the level of concern there at Houston and and when will they be able to uh, piece things back together?
0: I think the, the level of concern has to be extreme. If you are an athletic director and you signed off on, we're not testing. I mean, you might as well just take your career and throw it in a river. Like, I mean, that has to be the single dumbest administrative thing in modern college athletics. Hey, let's not test. Now, I've had ADs explain to me that, like, their president's office has recommended they not test because they don't want it to be – they don't want the, the athletic department or athletes to look like they're different from the regular students if they're not going to test all the regular students coming back, which would obviously be a, a massive thing. But the reason why you test is very simple. It's what happened at Houston. So <laughs> when gets the coronavirus, you're not like, oh, my God. No, we didn't test. And you look like absolute morons. And give the Houston area media, the Chronicle included, you know, give them credit for first guessing this. Yeah. They didn't like second guess that they right. had experts on the record in the newspaper. And, you know, Tillman Furtada, the Rockets owner who is the super booster at Houston and is basically like uses the Houston football program as like his fantasy team, <laughs> he is he is down hundreds of millions of dollars in this because he owns restaurants and he owns casinos and, and all that stuff. And Houston is financially in pretty dire straits, just as they are like all AAC programs spending like they're in a major conference, but not bringing in revenue like they're in a major conference. And I just wonder how much Houston's perilous financial situation led them to this. These tests, like I've had ADs tell me that they're putting 1.5 million, $2 million in line line budgets at a time when they're not making any income and they're they're planning on making exponentially less. But please, God, athletic directors don't give the student athletes health the short shift here. Like, like figure something else out. Turn off the waterfall in your locker room. <laughs> Stop building your practice facility. <laughs> Do something else. Like, it is the most tone-deaf, ridiculous thing to not test the athletes. Like, I even saw something on Twitter today where basketball testing maybe like, bunches. We're only going to test five guys. Well, guess what? If one of the other five gets it, they're all going to have it by the end of the first day of pickup. So, like, at the very least, do it to cover your own tails, right? Like, just from a CYA perspective, Testing just should be baseline. and should be frequent. Figure out a way to pay for it.
1: Yeah, that's to me, it's like that's one thing you cannot go cheap on and you cannot roll the dice to say, yeah, we'll probably be okay." I just that should be non-negotiable first step for every athlete that comes back. And yes, I do. I do agree. It does present a problem where why are the athletes doing it, but you don't care about the other students? Well, first of all, you are asking more of the athletes in terms of coming back earlier and being on campus solely to work out for their sports because there's no campus classes so you are basically putting them out there to to be the guinea pigs of how this thing's going to go when you re, when you bring back campus uh, full full student body so uh, i think you it, to not pretest and have that all the box checked and and just purely for the liability standpoint what uh, i just thought was a very very bad idea uh, that could only have a, really a bad result. I mean, if it, if you ha- if you have a good result, nobody notices. If you have a bad result, everybody really notices. And so now Houston's on the hook for that. Do you really like? Can you imagine that staff meeting where
0: that <laughs> like? You know, seemingly smart, well-compensated people were sitting in a room saying, yeah, let's not test for the coronavirus. (laughs) And by the way, this happens at a time when when the city of Houston, as we know, our uh, our friend and uh, co-worker Charles Robinson lives there. And, you know, it's just kind of like we're all sitting around chatting about how the virus is affecting us day to day. Houston is getting pummeled right now. Houston is mid second wave right now. Mm -hmm. The opening up in Houston, as in a lot of Texas, has gone extremely poorly. Read the room protect your athletes and figure out a way to get the money. Like, like I'd love to have some like video of that staff meeting where they figured that out. That would be some, like there, you talk about like the paragon of leadership in college athletics, like Chris Pesman and his crew said, we
1: don't need the tests. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's, it's uh, it's kind of a remarkable conclusion to arrive at. It really is. And I mean, I remember they talking to a few ADs, you know, Gosh, I guess it was a month ago. It seems like it was four years ago now. Things did both happen very quickly and very slowly. Uh, but, they, you know, and they were like, ooh, we were finding out how much this is going to cost. Wow, this is going to be pretty expensive. It's like, yeah, of course it's going to be expensive and you need to be prepared to do it. And yes, I understand And As you as you noted, it's a big added expense at a time when you are losing revenue. So it's not an easy pill to swallow, but to me, it's it's a non-negotiable pill to swallow. You got to do it. And here's the result of not doing it. In other coronavirus-related return-to-campus news, uh, Ohio State had athletes sign something called the Buckeye Pledge. Uh, I'm going to let you describe it a little bit more because I think that you have read the actual document, which I have not, I admit. But it's uh, asking players to, quote, pledge to take responsibility for my own health and help stop the spread of the COVID-19. Uh, Pete, what's what exactly is the document and what does it mean? So this is, this is how I read
0: the uh, document. I'm looking at it right now here on my phone. Um, and it, it basically is like, you know, in the movies when like the high school football team all sign a pledge to like not drink for the whole season or smoke cigarettes and whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. again, it's the coronavirus version of that. And that's the way that's the way I read it. We agree to testing. I agree to self-quarantine if I have symptoms and and basically like stay at home if I'm sick, wear a mask, practice physical distancing, wash my hands, keep personal space. And what's not said there is not be an idiot, like not yeah. go out to the bars, not go to parties, not put myself, my teammates, my coaches you know, like Greg Madison would fit uh, Ohio State. The assistant would fit in that age range where he would be maybe more susceptible than others. He, He's—I'm sure there are others there, but Greg comes to com, comes to front of mind. Obviously, you know, Greg Madison, Pat, the veteran assistant who was yeah. at Michigan, oh, yeah. Florida, yeah. Baltimore yeah. Ravens, bunch of yep. bunch yep. of other places. Like, and this is for these players' own parents and grandparents, etc., who may who may fall in that
1: higher uh, higher risk category. Like, yeah. so that was L- Larry Johnson, necessar- senior, but. Larry Johnson's oh, yeah. senior defensive line coach is 67, 68 as well. So yep. yeah,
0: no, exactly. So mm-hmm. to me, this wasn't like a waiver. I signed my life away to go play for the Buckeyes. It was more like, a, I'm not going to go be an idiot and compromise my teammates, coaches, family's health and season, um, yeah. But actually talk to some people at Ohio State this morning. Like there hasn't been big pushback from the players. Like I mm-hmm. think legal Twitter got all a flutter on this. But I, if you really read the document, I don't really think they're like signing anything away.
1: Mike, did the coaches
0: sign it? Uh, I don't know that. That's a, that's a uh, uh, that is a good uh, that is a good question. Uh, the document itself says student athlete electronic signature. OK, so my yeah. hunch would be no.
1: Yeah. If I were. If I were going to be the locker room lawyer player, I think that might be my suggestion. It's like, we're signing this. How about, how about anybody want to join us? Coaches, let's see you guys jump in with us here. Come on. And of st- opposed to coaches telling players you must or not. You must, but you need to sign this document. But I do believe they had 100% uh, participation in this. So, yeah, there hasn't been any notable pushback. But, uh, you know, that you, you mentioned. I mean, the coaches are certainly the ones that are theoretically – more at risk here and uh you know whether it's whether it's technically the exact same document or something similar i would have liked to have seen them pledge to lead a healthy safe socially responsible uh football season existence as well yeah i
0: and the esteemed d1 ticker this morning which i know you're a fan of pat uh indiana also reportedly signed a similar uh, a similar document to this which i just yeah. thought was which i thought was interesting and you know, I, look, my theory on this season is that it's it's sort of going to be a survival of attrition, right? I was talking to a coach the other day who was like, well, if one of my running backs gets this during a game week, there's a really good chance the rest of my running backs are going to get this during a game week because they're going to be in the same running back room and they're going to be changing next to each other in a locker room, etc. So like the teams that can basically like stay home and play video games together and not go out and put their teammates at risk are going to have a much better chance of surviving the season. Like I am fully convinced and somebody can play this sound on the, even the national title game and mock me to death, but I'm fully convinced we're going to have teams that are going to have to forfeit games this year. Like I, I don't see how we don't, or if not forfeit like play with defensive linemen playing offensive line or, or, or whatever it is, or people playing out of position. Like there are going to be chunks of teams that are wiped out and they're going to be difficult coach decisions there are going to be difficult administrative decisions especially with the dollars that are so desperately needed as we're talking about uh, at length i just i've said it all along it's not going to be clean it's going to be messy it's not going to be linear and you know these are the types of situations that we're now you know that we're now looking at and you know if houston football has to shut down a week or two in and that that could be directly related to not testing and not tracing like it's just hard to imagine especially as the numbers increase in that SEC footprint in Texas in different places that have opened back up. It's just hard to not imagine the the virus impacting these teams. And that's the
1: thing. I mean, the numbers, it's just very interesting. You're right. The, the Sun Belt, you know, from Florida, Georgia, through the Gulf Coast, Texas, and then, boy, Arizona, Ooh, bad numbers in Arizona, California going way up. And then the question is going to be, which we have discussed before, and we'll have to further discuss, uh, you know, later, is what's the threshold? What's the tolerance level for? Okay, we can deal with five guys test positive, uh, or of ten. If it gets to twenty, what do we do? You know, and then as you said, is it a forfeit, or what level does it have to be to a forfeit, or is it a no contest and nobody gets, you know, a win or a loss? I mean, all these things. We'll obviously we'll talk about that as we get closer to actual games, uh, but it's going to be so interesting, I think, to see just kind of a first where are the outbreaks, and then just b how are they handled and what's the response. So that's and what if you have be-
0: a conference game canceled?
1: Yeah. And then you're six and one in
0: conference and someone is seven and one in conference. And there's like I mean, there's like a yeah. million different things. If, if, you know, the we've been using uh, Nebraska and Rutgers on the pod in the past because of the extremities and cases there. So if your Rutgers game gets canceled. Can you replace them with, you know, some team that has a buy that week that wants two million dollars? Like, I don't know. Like, it's like I, it's, you know, or. Like, if you're not in the conference title game, can you play it that week in December to, for the page? I, I, right. I'm not. I'm not sure, but there is. Uh, yes, there's. Anyone who just celebrated the return of players to campus and the new practice schedule without thinking of all the potential negative reverberations and situations that can happen? I know. You know, it's talking to ADs this morning, they're on pins and needles.
1: Oh yeah, you know,
0: absolutely, they, they're not. You know, this whole cool season is going to be played out on a high wire.
1: Yeah. No, that's good. That's a very good point. You'd hate to lose the Rutgers game, by the way, because that's an easy W. So, yes, <laughs> you, 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 want, you want to play that game. Um, last maybe not for Nebraska, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Last virus related, uh, note Gary Patterson, coach of the TCU Horned Frogs, and a guy who I, you know, I wasn't sure there was a whole lot to GP beyond. Dialing up blitz packages. You know, I mean, he just seemed like such a football guy. Uh, But one of the things he did with his quarantine time was to record a country song. What's the title of this thing, Sully? It's
0: called Take a Step Back, and according to our friend Bruce Feldman on Twitter, it's been a busy couple months for Gary Patterson. He wrote this thing back in
1: April and recorded in May, and now it's hitting our airwaves on Twitter. Take a Step Back. That's it. Okay, so let's spend—oh, you want to play us 30 seconds of it, Sully? Okay, there we go. Little Gary Patterson, take a step back. I, I got to give him credit. Nice Texas twanger there. You know, I mean, it's that's good Texas country. Uh, what do you think, Pete? Is he? Is he? Should he just hang up the the coaching britches that he likes to hike up and go to become a go to Nashville become a country star? Well, if they're not any better than they were last year, he may have to. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: So I'm like the worst guy to ask about country music because I like live in the <laughs> Northeast and I am I've just I have like zero country in my repertoire so yeah a good little good little twang as you said and look on the potential of like embarrassment that could come with a coach releasing a song i think there's like very little potential for embarrassment here like when i heard gary patterson release a song i was like oh my god this is going to be an epic disaster it is not that and that's no. about as as close to a music critic as i'm going to uh, as i'm going to
1: get yes yeah. I, I like it. I, I, I give him credit. Again, I, he surprised me. I just didn't think he had it in him. Uh, who would you say is the least likely coach to cut a song, quarantine song or otherwise? <sighs> The last of the hundred and thirty so, to distract
0: while I'm thinking, I'm going to let our <laughs> listeners know that Pat had not seen the movie Almost Famous until I mailed him the <laughs> DVD of it from Amazon uh, at some point during the quarantine or in the last six months. And he just received a he just received a copy of Almost Famous and didn't know
1: where it came from. And, yeah. and Pat quite enjoyed it, didn't he? I did. It was a very good song, a very good movie. I did enjoy it. That's, you know, that's it for my my one movie every couple of months, three months, whatever.
0: <laughs> it's good. Uh, so I'm going to say America's least likely country music star would be Paul Christ. Paul Because Christ. he just, he just, like, like think about Paul Christ. He, Paul Christ couldn't even do karaoke. So I would just think the epitome uh, of endearing, bland Paul Christ would yeah. have a difficult time. Uh, who do you think, Pat?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got to go Sabin just because he's, you know, they get the chances of getting Sabin to do anything frivolous like that. Uh, are 0.0%. <laughs> So I just, I, you know, could I could you imagine just going up and asking Nick, "Hey Nick, sing a little." You're like what? Get out of my office. You know, it's just not happening. So okay, state of the conference, ACC, Pete. It's Clemson and a bunch of others. Uh, do you see anything possible that is going to change that? That's the way it's been for at least five years, really, ever since Jameis Winston left Tallahassee. That is the way it has been. Is anything going to disrupt the Clemson reign of terror? in the ACC other than the coronavirus? Yeah, that would be
0: about it. That would be that would be that would be about it. I just I just I don't know right now who I would pick for second place in the uh in in the ACC be it be it in Clemson's division or to 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 you know obviously play them in the in the league title game North Carolina has a lot of buzz but we, and they returned obviously quarterback Sam Howell who could be the type of player who a program gets built around where later in his career the program could be lifted up but they returned very little on the offensive line at North Carolina. They do have pretty much all their skill back at tailback and in, in receiver, but I just don't think defensively there, even though they played Clemson better than anyone really last year in the ACC, I don't really feel like they are at a pound for pound talent place to, to compete with them yet. And I do think some of the, New coach Buzz is going to fade there a little bit. They have Auburn early. They have UCF early, which I think will both be losses for them. How does North Carolina respond to that? Um, you know, they've obviously recruited well, but those returns really won't be seen for a little while. And then Virginia Tech, I think, is really interesting, Pat, um, as another potential foil. They, they've certainly kind of just careened from ACC contention the past few years. And I really think the most interesting guy there is Justin Hamilton, who essentially was, like, brought in in an off-the-field personnel role two years ago, and now he's the defensive coordinator. And that defense, obviously, especially early last season, opposition had their way with. You're bringing in a guy who's really, really green To to run that defense and Bud Foster, the end of his career, obviously, you think about that Duke game on the Friday night last year, did not match the results of the previous 30. But like, Bud Foster knew how to find answers and Bud Foster generally knew what he was doing. He may be a Hall of Fame assistant coach. He's certainly a Hall of Fame caliber assistant coach. So I've always thought Justin Fuente his staff was maybe not of the caliber of the staffs of places in the ACC. When you look at like Florida state, when you look at Carolina, when you look at Clemson, I really think that is going to be the key staff hire in the ACC this year to dictate which direction Virginia tech goes.
1: in. No good Intel there on the staff. I, I quite frankly had, had, totally forgotten who they had hired to replace bud foster but i was actually going to ask
0: you that as <laughs> I, my notes here and i, I forgot so good thing I, I i did not put you on the spot
1: thank uh, you yes, yes yes no you did you, you did I well may ask but. You sing,
0: i may ask you to sing country roads before <laughs> the pod is over too
1: <laughs> that isn't happening um yeah no I I, I I like north carolina i do i'm i am high on them you're right the schedule is tough immediately at ucf and then auburn uh neutral site in atlanta ain't so neutral. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh but after that, they you know, even if they lose those, they're going I think they can win the Coastal because the Coastal is it is not the Coastal Elite. It is just <laughs> the Coastal. No. They, they their, their no. role is to provide cannon fodder for Clemson in the championship <laughs> game in Charlotte and they as they have done with a rotating cast every single year. But I you know, I literally,
0: yeah, <laughs> every single year. <laughs> yeah,
1: they got Chaz Surratt at linebacker. Is I think he's a he's a blossoming star uh, for them, and Sam Howell's a blossoming star on offense. They do have all the skill back, as you noted. They do the left side of their line. They're rebuilding defense. Uh, they do. They also have the estimable Storm Duck at cornerback. Uh, one of the great names in North in college football so go there was a
0: duck at Bills. app state last year who left early i don't think he got drafted i wonder if the ducks are brothers
1: might be there might be a whole a whole flock of ducks out there playing college football i, I don't is know is it a flock or is it i like don't know a pyramid oh that's yeah that was you know we touched on all that in a previous podcast on the various names for animals uh animal groupings my my daughter came up with a website that had the whole list of them that was just phenomenal. I mean, just completely ridiculous names from uh, that originated from like the 1600s. I want to even ask you, there was a parliament of something, like a parliament of hens or something. I can't remember yes. what. But yes, um, one quick note on on Virginia Tech, their defense, uh, the, according to the magazine I'm looking at, a lot of guys coming back doesn't mean they're good because they were bad last year, but they're all juniors and seniors on that side of the ball. So experience at least. Uh, so they got some guys coming back and Hendon Hooker, I thought showed some real promise at quarterback. See if he continues to develop. Before we dive into the other pretenders in the ACC, I'm just
0: curious, uh, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners fall in the same wheelhouse. What magazine do you have, Pat? Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm on the cusp of my magazine purchasing phase, but I'm yeah. waiting for stores to open up a little bit here in Massachusetts. I like to go buy them. I don't oh, yeah. want to order my magazines no. on online. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a moment. I usually wait till the 4th of July to do it, but we're going to be doing some league previews on the pod. So I'm curious what you have and if you have any magazine buying advice, what to buy, what to avoid. Cause some of them end up being pretty flimsy. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, great, uh, great question. Great point. Usually, here's how I I usually do it, is I sit there and wait for Phil Steele to come, uh, and that one does come in the mail, and that's usually mid-June. Or so and that's that's my go to. And I sometimes I buy the others, but sometimes I don't because Phil Steele's so good. But Phil, this year is oh, your not, man crush on Phil Steele has been well is, documented oh, on yeah. this podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is a it is a long, slow dance to in your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a column when I was at the Courier Journal about like Phil Steele is is, is the most important person in my life starting Labor Day weekend, really starting August first and going forward for like three <laughs> months. But so <gasps> Phil Steele But I got to wait for that now because that one is mail order. It's not going to be on newsstands and can't get that till July. So today, this morning, I went to go to Barnes and Noble, the closest bookstore here to buy my mags. And first of all, I get there at 1015. They don't open till 1030 different hours. okay? so I go run a couple other errands. I come back. All they have is baseball magazines. Like, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? Well, so, is it a little early? Like, that's what I, that's why I asked well, a little bit. No, I mean, usually like, this it, is, no, June, like Memorial Weekend is when they start hitting. So, like, you know, I, I'm like, I'm outraged. Yeah. Uh, like but the so sporting
0: I, news is usually pretty good, but like, it's in the past couple of years, but I don't know if that's been folded into something else now. Yeah, I, I haven't um, seen sporting news for a
1: while, for a couple of years. So, what do you now. have? What do you, I've got, a, I got, what I got, I, I went to Kroger then and I got my, I got Athlon, I got Lindy's, okay. and I got Street and Smith's.
0: Okay. Af- I usually
1: th- buy those three as well. Yeah, Athlon is the thickest one. Have, I really, quite frankly, haven't opened the other two yet. Um String Smiths. I, I, I used to have a committed relationship with them when I was a kid, like because they had th- all the schedules in the back, and I would go through and pick mm. every single game. Uh, I was not well, but that, that was <laughs> my childhood. Well, like in, you still
0: aren't well, by the no, way. That's so true.
1: that's true. Uh, but like do in you August, still
0: fill out. Do you still fill out your Phil Steele Phil and, Steel, with the score of every team in every game? I
1: start usually, and then by the end of September, I'm tired of it, and I don't do it anymore. Okay, so, no. You know, that that internet, it's amazing. It's all right there for you. <laughs> Pat realized that like 10
0: years after everybody else, so that's uh, <laughs> that's good. Just like Pat refused for about a five-year span to use GPS— like when we all bought Garmins because we're on the road all the time, Pat mm-hmm. refused to buy a
1: Garmin. He was like, ah, I got a map. That Garmin fine. <laughs> uh, you know, I still – I could still I could still make that fly. I really could. Um, um, Pat I'm was sorry. also late to Uber, but that's another story of another time. <laughs> Uber, schmoober, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Pete, who's the second best team in the Atlantic behind Clemson? Is it going to be Florida State? Is it going to be Louisville? Or is it going to be somebody else that jumps up? it's it's interesting right because it's
0: again it's not easy to do what scott satterfield did there and take a horrific team and make them decent right Right. um and he did a wonderful job but it's much harder to go from like decent to excellent than from horrible to good do do you agree with that just generally like you you know like you can do some very basic things within your program in terms of getting guys engaged getting guys going i mean Bobby petrino just basically stopped showing up at work um, in his last year at Louisville and his staff was basically all relatives and like people who like caddied for him at the country club at some point in his life. Like it was just <laughs> it was a complete like I want to see the 30 for 30 on the end of the Bobby Petrino. There could be a great 30 for 30 on the all of Bobby Petrino's endings. Yeah. All right. right? Yeah. If you do the ending at Louisville, the ending at uh, well, the ending at Auburn, sure. near ending at Auburn, ending at Auburn. Ending at Louisville, ending at the Falcons, ending at uh, Arkansas, obviously. And then the ending at Louisville where he just gave up. And Lamar Jackson covered a lot of sins. Lamar was gone. And then all of a sudden they were just a complete unmotivated train wreck. Like they just stopped tackling. I mean, it was it was a complete embarrassment. What had uh, what had happened there? So good on Scott Satterfield. He hired a great staff. He really energized that place, got it going. Um, they still ranked, I believe, like 108th in total defense last year, which was a 20 place improvement. Yeah. So. There's, there's a long way to go. I just wonder if now the roster is atrophied to where they're able to take advantage of some 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 good veteran players who were motivated at the tail end of their career. But now the, the, the roster is just going to be bottom heavy and is going to take some time to grow up. Uh, they have good skill at quarterback. They have good skill at receiver. They have Tutu Atwell. And that just makes me happy to say, feels <laughs> like football's back. It's like Storm <laughs> Duck's great name cousin. Um, I just feel like in my gut, that Florida State under Mike Norvell, I'd feel better about this if they actually, you know, held 15 spring practices um, and did yep. see each other once in a while. But yep. I do feel like, Blackman had shown some science early in his career. Like The ultimate litmus test for Nike Norvell will be the degree of offensive side of the ball negligence that Willie Taggart was, was committing basically at Florida State. I think Mike Norvell is one of the bright young offensive minds in all of football. And I do think the insertion of his scheme, bringing Kenny Dillingham as the OC, bringing in a scheme that clearly worked at Memphis in a lot of different ways – like they had a lot of success running the ball, they had a lot of success passing the ball when the quarterback dictated it. They did a lot of things well, which to me, Mike Norvell's track record shows that he can tailor his system, which is going to be kind of more pro style there at Florida State, to the talent he has given. And you can't tell me there's no talent at Florida State. Like pound for pound, the Florida State roster is better than Louisville roster. So that's where that's where I'm going to end up on that. I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to bet on Norvell there. But a lot of that is going to come down to to. Blackman and what he can get out of Blackman and the results are uneven at
1: best right now. Yeah. Um, I I I think that uh, Florida State should get the boost that Louisville got for the reason you said that all of a sudden you got a coach that's competent and knows what they're doing more. You know, Louisville is just complete apathy uh, and they they, at least the the coaching staff cared and coached them up. Florida State's going to be, I think, a coaching staff didn't know what they're doing to a coaching staff that does know what they're doing and that immediately should make them two or three games better, uh, for sure. And, and then, yeah, Blackman, I, I, I like Norvell's ability to build an offense. And as you said, they, they have talent there. They have players. Now they, they don't have a proven running back. Cam Akers took almost every carry for like 14 years there and he's gone now. <laughs> they do have some proven receivers that they can work with. Uh, he will get, I think the best out of Blackman. So I give them a chance there and then defensively they're going to have dudes Louisville. I can, I like, boy, I like the skill, uh, but again, yeah, I don't know how much better they can get. Again, you know, can they take another big step forward? I, I'm not sure. They they've got they lost a left tackle who is as good as anybody in the country uh, with good left tackles in, in a year of good left tackles in Mackay Becton. He's I think he's going to be an NFL star. Defensively, they still they they wallpapered over some deficiencies. We'll see how good they are on that side there, but. The big game, October twenty fourth. Florida State is at Louisville, and I think that's to decide who's the second best team in the division in the Atlantic, and probably in the in the whole conference. I think. Uh, I think those are. Your, well, we'll see. North Carolina, North Carolina could sneak in there. Um, all right, Petey. Beyond beyond those teams, anybody else you like? Any surprise team that could could move up in either division? Well, I'll go a little bit, a little bit local
0: here because some of my uh, inherent regional biases give me a preponderance of information on some of some of my teams up here. So, like. I was I was reading because uh, I don't have the luxury of buying magazines at Kroger um, right now during our state of the pandemic. I was reading a uh, a CBF Sportsline preview of the uh, of the ACC earlier today, and they had uh, they had Syracuse winless in the uh, in the ACC, and I was going, mm. "Wow!" And they had BC one and seven in the uh, in the ACC um, with its only win being over Syracuse. I think that bc could actually be a little bit better than better than people think and and the, the reason why is simple they they return essentially three all-conference offensive linemen mike vrabel's son tyler vrabel is the left tackle he's going to be a star first second round pick type guy over the next couple of years he's still young like they they basically at hunter long will be a first three-round draft pick at tight end um they basically like have a decent core to be a functional like we can beat you 20 to 17 type team if uh jerkovic the quarterback from notre dame gets eligible if he doesn't bc is going to be bad because yeah. uh then they're back to starting to walk on and they're going to start that whole cycle again but if with a quarterback in what would have to be some sort of offensive evolution to a more refined passing game than we saw at any time uh Pretty much since Ryan Day left that offense uh, four or five years ago, I actually think there are some guts at BC. They return a ton of guys on defense. Like, so again, their defense was bad. I think it was 128 last year. You'd think Jeff Halfley could energize that scheme a little bit, and you've got some guys back. I, I, I and they've taken some grad transfers. I think they can, they can, they can bolster that a, a, a little bit and uh, and surprise a couple of people. Their their non conference is. is generally pretty dreadful with Kansas and Holy Cross. And again, they lost Kansas at home last year. So anyway, that's my like local take there. Syracuse is interesting. They're like Tommy DeVito or Bust at quarterback, basically. Um, he obviously was the Elite 11 guy. They got out of Jersey and Texas A&M offered, and he was all excited. And he's really the only good quarterback that Dino Babers has recruited there. And if you would think Dino Babers, you would think he'd be able to recruit a ton of quarterbacks. He has the Jimmy Garoppolo pedigree, plays in a pass-friendly offense. You're indoors seven, eight games a year, uh, but they really have struggled at that position. The big t- turning point there was Brock Purdy picked Iowa State over them, and uh, since that since that point on, they thought they had a good shot at Purdy. They really just haven't been able to to fill that. And Devito's young enough where they've struggled to land a guy in the portal because they don't want to piss off slash scare off Devito. And guys don't want to go and compete with the guy who the coach brought in. So they brought in Sterling Gilbert as the OC quarterback guy, which is essentially a huge upgrade from the quarterback coach who who was essentially like a Babers in-law who, who got hired from the Houston area, Kirk Martin, and, and that didn't work out. DeVito didn't get any better. Uh, people in that program really think DeVito has the tools, and Babers has been very, very adamant about this since he recruited him to do that. But, like, you know, here's the thing is they've had – They've had very loud wins and they had one 10 win season. But other than that, they've been, they've been pretty dreadful up there. So it'd be interesting to see, this is a big turning point year. Cause if it isn't, De- if Devito's is not the answer, they're really in trouble. Now I'm not saying Babers is going to lose his job or anything like that. He's got a long, long contract and a lot of guaranteed money on it, but th- they could be at a little bit of an awkward crossroads. It's it's they've pushed all their eggs in the, uh, in the Tommy DeVito basket right now. And You do see some of the shine coming off the Baylor offense. Five, six years ago, the tempo was the rage, and nobody knew how to stop it, and that has changed. You look at Tulsa was hot for a little while under Philip Montgomery. They've cooled down. Um, the, the Bryles acolytes have kind of bandied around different places to, to, to mix results. And so I, would be, I'll be curious, uh, I'll be curious sort of what, what happens, uh, what happens there. So neither of those are particular contenders, but, um, I, I thought I would go through them. What, what do you think about Pitt, Pat? Do you think they could become the, 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 the foil? I think defensively, they've been super consistent. They haven't been able to answer our quarterback. Um, uh, do you, do you think they could end up being sort of that coastal gunpowder?
1: Yeah, Maybe, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I, I look at them and, and I think they have a chance. Also, you know, Miami has been fool's gold for so long. I kind of hesitate to jump in. But the two the two that kind of interest me are the ones that bring in the grad transfer quarterbacks is Miami with Derrick King. Sure. And Duke with uh, Chase Bryce from uh, Clemson. Yeah. I just you know, I think you, you put Chase Bryce in a David Cutcliffe offense and and you're going to get as much as you can out of him. And maybe it's enough to to, again, be the, the second or third best team in the Coastal. And if things fall apart at North Carolina or Virginia Tech, maybe you somehow win the Coastal. Somebody different wins it every year. Why not Duke? And I'd say, you know, I you just throw you throw a bunch of them in the hat in the Coastal and see who's going to end up winning 46-44 in double overtime on a Friday night, you know, that that t- turns the whole division upside down. That, that league is nuts. But uh, that's the only kind of intriguing unknown about the conference because – Clemson is the known, and all that really matters, and we will remain that way. I think uh, throughout twenty twenty, and I think we uh, we agree on that one.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, Wake Forest is always underrated, right? Like yeah. I think they they lose Jamie Newman, but I, I I think if you really watch Sam Hartman early in his career, there he's he's perfectly functional. They have a big time receiver in Sage Surratt. They get uh, Boogie Basham back, who'll be a first round pick, who's a, who's a defensive end there, like. I really think this could end up being one of the one of the better Wake teams during uh, during Clawson's time there. And I'm looking at a prediction here from CBS that says that they're going to go two and two and six in the, uh, in the in the ACC. I I think there's just a better core there than that. And he's he's built them to be too consistent to have that much uh, that much slippage.
1: Yeah, no, Clawson's a heck of a coach. He really is. Uh, not necessarily working with a flush hand all the time. They got to replace a lot of people on offense, but. That's his. That's his specialty. That's his baby. So, uh, play them. Uh, you know, overlook them at your own peril. I would say, uh, for Wake Forest. So, all right. That's a uh, a, a relatively uh, semi-thorough overview of the ACC. We will uh, we'll be back later in the week to look at another conference. We haven't decided yet. We'll flip a coin four minutes before we start, and uh, and go from there. That is, if the world is still spinning. Uh remains very much to be seen. The uh, the Mayan calendar may, may have us all marked. And if so, then this is goodbye forever. Uh, you don't even have to leave a review. But just in case it's not the end of the world, leave us a review. Say nice things. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you later this week.
0: I'm Mike Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News.
1: And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
0: We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals.
1: With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the
0: coronavirus to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Pod.